everybody, Randy here. Before we get to today's episode, I want to quickly announce a new sponsor for the Trap Draw podcast, Raycon, makers of wireless earbuds. I'll uh, I'll be back about halfway through to tell you more about it, but for now, I want to thank uh, Raycon for their, their new uh, sponsorship of the Trap Draw. Enjoy the episode. As always, thank you, Mr. Jeezy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a special edition of the Trap Draw. This is Neil. Big Randy's taking the night off. Uh, it's a perfect club. Haven't done one of these in a while. It's been a while. Uh, I have DJ Pi, the one and only here with me in the Kill House studio. Thrilled to be here. How are you, DJ? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. And a special guest on the phone with us, uh, all the way from the big titty, Jerry Bell, <laughs> my roommate in Brooklyn. Jerry, how are you? Great. Great to be here. Finally, been begging Neil for about three years. Great to finally make this happen. Yeah, I have to get you involved in the content. When it rains, it pours, huh? You're just like making the podcast rounds. It's true. It is true. Well, many of you may be asking, well, why is Jerry Bell on the, uh, or as we call him, Che Bells, on the uh, trap draw? Well, it's because of his expert um, opinions and knowledge on Garth Brooks. So this podcast will be... uh, Dedicated to Garth in general, but more specifically, The Road I'm On, the A&E documentary that aired, I believe, in early December of 2019 um, on A&E, two-part, four-hour, nothing but Garth, absolute bonanza. This is part of the the biography series that you may have watched growing up, you may have watched over the last... I, maybe it's still on all the time. I don't know. This is the first time I've thought about this franchise, though, in, in the last like 15 years. It was it was quite an experience. Um, actually, shocking. Just a little bit about the doc, produced by Peter Berg, um, acclaimed of action Friday film Night Lights and director, and yeah, stuff of that ilk. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's boy, boy Peter Berg. So I, that surprised me. Did but, you call him Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, Wahlberg. 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 Well, potato, potato. <laughs> I don't we'll think ask, it is. Listen, I'll ask Mark what he okay. thinks. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, Jerry, why don't we why don't we dive into like why are we doing this podcast? What, what how did we come across this documentary? Yeah, do you want to? It was it wasn't on purpose. I'll put it that way. I mean, I think fans of Live PD um, probably saw a lot of Garth commercials in the run up, kind of over the fall. Um, but yeah, it was it was not on purpose. We kind of stumbled onto the Garth the Garth doc, as we'll call it, kind of going forward. We kind of stumbled onto it. Call it a, probably a late Tuesday night. Is that how you would describe it, Neil? Or early Wednesday morning uh, in, in the uh, great town of Philadelphia. Why don't you guys set the stage for me? Because Neil called me the next day to just debrief. It sounded like a transcendental experience. Yeah, so Jerry and I were at a fish concert, uh, my second ever. And I, I would, wouldn't call myself like a – I'm definitely not a fish fan. Fish fans would mob me if I said that. Jerry, what do fish fans call I, themselves? It's just fans with like a PH? Yeah, or just heads, fans or heads. Heads, heads. Two. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, but I'm a fish enthusiast. I, I kind of fascinated from with them, but from afar. But got tickets to the uh, Metropolitan Opera House show in real fans Philly, only, which the real fans <laughs> will now definitely be gunning for me because there's only like three thousand seats in the place, and so they were all all upset. And so I asked Jerry to go because he's a, much more of a fish fan than me, but probably not ahead. Much, much more of a head than me, but probably not a diehard. Um, is that fair, Jerry? Yeah, enough enough to appreciate it, enough to to kind of relish in the moment, to play the part, but definitely not enough to kind of like deserve to be in this to, to be in attendance <laughs> at the smallest fish show in twenty years. Yes, which was a, a magical experience, um, and you know, like we may have altered our reality a little bit uh, before and during the show, so we were kind of in a, a very interesting headspace. Came out of the show with like, a, whoa, what just happened? Serotonin levels are all serotonin off levels the charts. Could have been unbalanced. Listen, uh, that's possible. Um, and so then we made our way back to our grimy downtown Philly Marriott hotel. Uh, stopped in the Seven Eleven across the street with like a completely shattered window. Picked up some snacks get upstairs like just after midnight and I'm all like you know kind of elsewhere so I'm like I'm gonna jump in the shower so I get in the shower I get out and Jerry I remember him vividly saying to me like yo Neil I I literally look what's on it's it's literally the exact opposite of what we just saw and I was like what do you mean and it was the Garth documentary and it, it was such a perfect way to say it Jerry where it was like I I look at fish like the world's biggest inside joke where it's like, man, I, I don't really get it. But like, there's also like, you sent me that podcast. Like I've, I've learned a lot more about them. I respect them. But like, you hear probably the majority of the population say like, I don't really get fish. Whereas I think Garth, Garth is like the, uh, he's like the viral video that everybody's in on, you know, like the, um, the things you see rolling around social media where, where like everyone's doing their version of it. Like he, j- it just, picked up like wildfire, like pogs back in the nineties, like <laughs> baseball cards. Like the guy was just an absolute wildfire and, and probably a sustained one throughout, like from the documentary from, from like 1985 to like basically when he retired in like 2001, I think. So we're sitting there watching this and, and from my perspective, and I want to jump into each of you guys and your personal experience with Garth. Like I am, I'm not a Garth hater by any stretch, but I am probably the farthest thing you from a fan like I don't know didn't know anything about him I know some of his songs like if it came on the radio I'd know it was Garth but I'm very apathetic and so picture me watching this doc maybe in like a little bit of an altered mental state as like an alien that just got dropped into earth and like this is what you were going to use to explain Garth Brooks you know and like sure. and, and from that perspective I thought I was going absolutely crazy um and and like this like is I'm what learning, people this is what everybody's obsessed yeah, with yeah like I'm learning about this guy for the first time and like I just couldn't believe my eyes. Um, so that's kind of where I was coming at the doc from. Jerry, where, where what's your personal experience with Garth? Well, I think the reason I the reason I wanted to watch it that night is because you know one of like the probably the the thing that people know about Fish, other than like that they're just a jam band or whatever, is that they they really don't take themselves seriously, which is kind of crazy for a band that's had such a sustained run. And then to throw on a documentary who take of the country singer who takes himself the most seriously was such a like stark contrast. It's almost a perfect for that, <laughs> perfect for that night, perfect for that moment. Um, and then when I realized that you like didn't really know anything about Garth Brooks, you know, I'm from South Texas. Like even if I don't know any Garth, even if I wasn't a Garth Brooks fan, I still know almost all of his songs. So certainly all of his like biggest hits, just because they're like ambient music and pretty much everywhere in Texas at all times, especially growing up like in the nineties. So 
watching that documentary was kind of filling in the gaps between basically the songs that I knew, the songs that I like slow danced to in seventh grade. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the corner of my eye, I had you like basically watching the story of this guy who you, I mean, cause like the reality is like he, as we, as we will get to, he stopped touring and basically in 2000. And so we really only have the songs and we don't even actually have the songs. He's not any of the streaming platforms. So exactly. He, he's a total, he just he's a total mystery. Spotify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, complete, complete mystery, except for the Pepsi commercials. Yeah. The Super Bowl and like the like you know two thousand five two thousand six. I was like, man, that guy really fell. He really fell on hard times, huh? He well, almost another, uh, another mysterious uh, aspect of him is that he basically changes his facial hair on you know at any given. We point. will get so to that. Goes, we'll definitely get to he that. He goes goatee to beard to like you know flavor saver the drop of a hat and so that you know that's <laughs> which a, that's again is a Neil a Neil staple. We, listen, that is in my notes. That is that is one of the things <laughs> right, I respect we'll, the most we'll about flag of birds that. of a feather. We are 100% birds of feather on that front. All right. Um, yeah. I think one of the crazy crazy things, just while we're kind of level setting, uh, is that he almost strikes me as uh, the last mega superstar before the internet took off. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And that that's where it's it's kind of like uh, you talk about he wasn't on streaming platforms and, you know, it's so foreign. I'm with you, Jerry. Like my background on him is is not ne- not nearly to the level uh, of yours. I can't imagine growing up in South Texas and what the uh, what the vi- the Garth vibe was like going out there. But I had the uh, the double live album which came out in 1998 and just wore the shit out of it. And I mean, it's just that's like I mean, that's the 101 class. And so imagine just taking the 101 class for. 10 straight years have you ever been to a garth concert never never no. and I so that's where I've, I've, i mean I, obviously I've, i kind of miss him age wise and actually i want to level set because you know the real the real like texas heads will kind of get at me because garth is de- is technically he's not texas country at all that really is kind of more in the george Strait strain which is an entire other podcast um that if you guys will have me on we can get on that one although we probably you guys would lose every one of your listeners but uh <laughs> you know he's like to, to dj's point like he is. He was like country superstar, and I think you know. Obviously, they would never get to this in the documentary that he produced, but I think that that probably rubbed some people the wrong way because he was like much more of a pop star throughout the '90s than he was a country star. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even really think about it until you just said that. But he kind of invented the the Taylor Swift playbook almost a oh, little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, without without Garth Brooks, there's no Taylor Swift. There's no Post Malone. There's no you know, any any sort of like country crossover does not exist. There's no Old Town Road for sure. Um, right. You know, the list goes on and on of all of the fantastic music that we would we would have not been exposed to over the last five years without without Garth. But to to circle it back, it's almost like uh, you know, to your point, Neil. Like, yeah, I've kind of heard about this guy. I don't really know much about him. Like, that would basically be like saying like the same thing about Taylor Swift right now. We're just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I kind of well, heard of her. You but, nailed it with the, like, he was the last that's, megastar. That's what I'm saying, like, before the internet, where yes. it's just like, dude, it just, if he, you know, if all this had happened 10 years later, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe a little more yeah. than that, about 10 years later, like, in the, you know, kind of mid-2000s, late-2000s, like, all that stuff would have, it would have had such a longer shelf life, you like, know, than... In my head, I've always It feels of, like a time capsule now, almost. I've always thought of MJ as the last like pop star before like attention got diverted into 10,000 different avenues and like nobody can hold the kind of cultural 
um, like the whole culture together. But like I, my, I almost like self combusted when on the screen in the documentary it said Garth is the highest selling solo artist. Of all time, and American solo artist, American solo, which artists. I think is because you got like no, Zomfear no, but, but and like all in, these like uh, the, Indian dudes. Uh, Record Industry Association of America, or, excuse me, Recording Industry snug, Association, snug into the archives, dug in to check out the. <laughs> He's the, crunching the numbers, the lineup. and he sold more albums though, not not singles. Like if you start counting singles, you, then you get like Eminem involved, who's like way up the charts. Um, but it's he's right behind the Beatles, who are at like 180 million albums sold. It's Garth at 150 million, Elvis at 145, the Eagles at 120, Led Zeppelin at 111, and then Billy Joel and Michael Jackson are uh, down at 84 million. I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking Garth over that field pretty much any day. <laughs> but like when I saw, I was like, "Are you serious?" Like I knew he was a big deal, but like I didn't realize he was the highest selling, like sold that he was just moving product. Like that's that's crazy. So I'm sitting there watching all this, and then. So you combine that to me with like like the the tone of the documentary, which is where I want to go next. Because I want to focus this podcast specifically on like how crazy this documentary is for a, a superstar. So Jerry, I'm going to toss that one over to you. Basically, like if we were going to say like top three highlights of the doc, and you can take that in like – you can take highlights and, and interpret that however you'd like. All right. Okay. So I'm going to start. So as a documentary, it's important. This isn't like a VH1 behind the music situation where, you know, we're digging into the, you know, we're, we're finding out where the bodies are buried. We're talking about Garth's like drug problem or whatever. If any of that existed, it's not, you're not finding it here. This is like the Garth show. We're talking, it's all Garth all the time. Everything's rosy except for like, you know, maybe one five minute period. But um, I think like the, the tone of this documentary is so like, it's so spot on for, for the like Garth story. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's so perfect. I think for me, the biggest highlight was basically just like 1990s America. Like this is like peak America, Garth, you know, Cowboys in the Super Bowl, Garth singing the national anthem, you know, everybody, I mean, the one, the, the perfect encapsulation of this People bringing backpacks to concerts, the idea that you could bring a bag into an arena, <laughs> bring a bag into an arena, I, I got so jealous of these guys walking in with a bag to a concert and no one like patting them down and frisking them because they thought they might have an AK-47. I was like, God, I would kill to go to a show with a bag one of these days. And like, just like the, the, the optimism that is present, like basically the worst thing that ever happened to Garth Brooks was that the first time he went to Nashville he got discouraged and went back to Oklahoma before going back six, before going back six weeks later. Like it, yeah. it, it's awesome. Like the guy, like the optimism that is like tangible within this documentary is, is, is awesome. I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And that's why I kind of find this to be so insane. So I'm, I'm going to build on that for my favorite thing. I was trying to think of how to crystallize it down to, to one thing, but for me, it's like the, um, the growth of the tall tales that are in here. And, and I don't even want to call it exaggeration. I, I kind of want to say this up front that like, I personally speaking, I hope this uh, doc or this podcast doesn't turn into a, uh, a way to dunk on, on Garth. Cause I don't think that's it. I, I think this is purely like uh, 
it's like a spectacle. Like it's something you have to wrap your head around. And I don't think it's good, bad, or or indifferent, but it's it's definitely unique. And I think one of the things that makes it so unique is the fact that everything in his life gets turned into like a parable or a tall tale <laughs> or something. And so like there's this so the story that Jerry alluded to is he He's the biggest thing in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He's making $700 a week playing live music uh, and decides he's going to go sign a record deal. And there's all these legitimately great interview bites with him about how he's going to just walk in and he's going to sign a deal and he's going to be the biggest thing ever. And he like drives in to Nashville, meets with like one person, is like, oh, that's, you know, this is going to be kind of hard. It's going to take a while. And then he turns around and drives home. And that gets turned into, you know, I mean, it gets turned into like John Henry, John Henry versus like the steam <laughs> shovel, basically. You know what I mean? It's just like gets blown so far out of proportion and you just, he injects all these life lessons into it and these parables and like you, you hear that. And that's kind of, for me, I, I like purely knew the music. I didn't know like really anything about the guy. I hadn't heard many interviews with him. I hadn't been in any concerts. And so to see that, like, that's the first thing you kind of, the first time in the documentary, you kind of notice like, whoa, this is this guy's different, man. This is a, uh, yeah, he's, he's really trying to like turn this into, um, you know, some, some legend building stuff. And it's just, that's the most tame one. Like it just ramps up like crazy from there. Well, it's for me, the, the highlight is probably along the parable line. It's like the dichotomy of Garth. So coming at it as someone who's <laughs> really never seen anything, like I've never seen him really in an interview. Maybe I've seen him like a, a clip of him accepting a CMA award in the past or something like that. But other than this doc, this is the first time I've really seen him over the, maybe the Pepsi commercials on the Super Bowl, And it's like, he opens up with a parable about handshakes and how you can tell if like, that's a man you want to go to war with. And so I'm thinking like, whoa, like this guy's, he's an alpha. Like he is completely in control. This is why he's sold 150 million albums. And then literally he's like, the, like the whole power stance, he's sitting, let's, let's just paint a picture. He's sitting backward, like the chair, <laughs> Like a, a, you know, a a cafe chair backwards with a, like, dad hat flat bill with his stupid lowercase G logo. Like, honestly, it's it's pretty dumb. As someone who wears many of his own logoed hats, though, you got to appreciate that. But our logo's sweet, okay? Like, I just think the low I think you should have made a capital G. He kept calling it the circle G, which I I like. The the G, lowercase G, capital G thing is a, that's part of the Garth myth as well. You know how he goes with the lowercase G? Because the uppercase G is stayed for, uh, for for the man upstairs. No oh, way! Really? Oh yeah! I didn't realize that. I don't want to get up on too well, much of a sick. tangent. Okay. But G, All right. No, no. G, I'd listen. The G no, that's is a... very important to Garth. Like his when he tried to start his own streaming service, it was called Ghost Tunes, but not as in like ghost, as in like a spirit. It was G Host, Garth Host. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on the one hand, he's like. He's he's sitting in this power stance. He's pointing straight and looking directly into the camera, and addressing me and telling me like, "Hey, you know how you? I know exactly how to meet a man." And then like, then it like flips to him, like in some cheesy setting on his like Tennessee ranch, and he's just like, literally like ten seconds later, he's crying. And well, like, so I, I said I didn't want to make this a, a dunk, but I, the second time through, we've I've watched it twice now. The second, the second time through, I did tally up how many times he cries. Any, any guesses? I'd say twelve. Oh, I'll take the over Bells? on that. The, the overs, the over has it's fifteen times. <laughs> there we go. And it's never talking to someone. So I left out all the like. There was more than that too, because there was like videos of him crying like with his mom from a while ago, and like I left all that stuff out. Just the only 
only the times that he makes himself cry from talking about like old memories, which again, like I'm not trying to poke fun, but I, that's literally never happened to me one time in my whole <laughs> life. And it happens 15 times in this documentary. And so I do think it's important to point out that the shot, there, there's two things, the shot that you're talking about, Neil. So there's a big, like beautifully staged, uh, like interview shot inside this recording studio where, where they kind of based the, you know, the pacing, the cadence of like the whole documentary is based on this interview that that's kind of like the storytelling aspect of it. And this whole documentary is like shot really well. And it's all like pretty beautiful. And it looks like very high end. And then for whatever reason, they keep injecting this dumbass shot where he just like turns right to camera, kind of like the Jags lady. If people remember the (laughs) Jag, like the take it to the limit, uh, Jags lady from YouTube who like, she knows exactly where the camera is. And like, whenever she has the punchline, she turns to the camera and says it right to camera. It's like, he's breaking the fourth wall. Yes. And so like your point about the handshake, I wrote this one down was, uh, he says like, this is just, you know, like a normal shot. Like he's not staring right at the camera. He says, you know, can you, can you really trust a man based on his handshake alone? And he turns to camera. He says, I'll bet my life on it. (laughs) And you're like, dude, no, no one talks like that. Right. And, and so I guess he does. And so I'm this, I'm going to, this is long winded, but I'll, I'll circle all this around. But the point, the only reason I bring up the crying thing is because it's so, it, it's like from everything from, you know, his dad passing away to his divorce to like some pretty like low stakes stuff. <laughs> and it's like, dude, the only, the only reason I'm picking nits here is like, man, if you're, if you're crying about everything, like, are you, are you really crying, crying about, about anything? anything, you know? And that, uh, that was a, I, I think speaks to the, the, the ethos so or the, 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 dichotomy the myth of though, Garth that is, we're talking you about. You kind of nailed it with the dichotomy. It's like the alpha that I'm seeing and that, that like society has made me feel like, oh, Garth, like he's, he is the man. And then it's just like Garth, the cheese dick. Which is like, oh shucks, I can't believe anybody showed up, man. And then like, it's gonna bring me to tears. Like, like literally oh, a million he people showed up. By the end of the, by the end yeah, of the, it's like, like I, oh man, they're like, I'm the biggest star in the world, man. How how about that? It's like, well, well, which is it? Are you like the alpha, self assured guy, or are you like the all shucks, I can't believe that? And like, even even in all the uh, footage of him on stage and stuff, it's like he's always just got this like, wow, I can't believe you all came. You know, it's like, dude, this is literally the sixty fifth show on the world tour yeah like, you just you, sold you out just, eight nights in you a row just sold out eight nights in a row at jerry's world like what do you mean you can't believe they showed up like you added extra nights and i don't want to skip to the end here but i think that's the most important part of all of this is that he's he's all things to all people right and so Absolutely. for for so many people like that's not possible right like that's what makes you not break through or that's what makes you you know that that's what makes you not stand out and f- there's a couple people in the history of the world that have just figured it out to where they can yeah. be like, you know, you know what? Like I can appeal to everybody. Yeah. And I thought that's what was so cool. There's another one of my favorite parts of the documentary was like when they're playing him, uh, playing those old covers, like those old oh, cover songs. Yeah. And he's playing like Rocket Man and he's playing uh, like Country Roads or whatever. He's I, playing I some Billy Joel. When Billy play, Joel is yeah. playing. Oh, when he plays a Hallelujah. I was like, holy shit. He's playing Hallelujah. He's playing Dust in the Wind. He's playing all these songs. And all of a sudden it's like, dude, it like, and I don't say this condescendingly or anything. Like it kind of doesn't matter what he's playing. Like he just, the dude is, and he says this himself. Like he's just the mega fucking entertainer. Yeah. That's his, that's his thing. And it doesn't really matter what he's playing. 
Well, the crazy thing part is of like, the. Go ahead, Jerry. Well, the, the the I think one of the reasons that he is like, you know, timing had has a lot to do with like why he just was on such a tear for so long. But he comes up as a singer songwriter, but then because of his like taste in music, like I think he you know, he, in, in the scene where they talk about his uh, Hall of Fame induction, like Bob Seger's there. There's like rock stars there because of his taste in music. He kind of like taught himself how to be a band leader, and like in country music, like at that time, like that didn't really exist. You had like kind of like singer songwriter types or you had the like honky tonk guys. The idea that you could combine those two and then sprinkle in some like pop star. I mean, Nashville wasn't ready. No. Like he was yeah. the megastar. Clearly the world wasn't ready. But one thing that <laughs> Dublin came wasn't ready. The first, the first time <laughs> Dublin around. Dublin definitely wasn't ready. Second time we watched it, DJ, this, this wasn't the case, but it was the dichotomy of Garth. So alpha, then all shucks, but then there, you know, there's like a commercial every 10 minutes on A&E. Every single time, the first commercial was then Garth hawking his anthology to me as a Christmas gift, which is like, hey, I'm Garth Brooks. You can get my whole record anthology at Walmart, Kmart, and Cracker Barrel. So you know what did I did? It, did it work? I went, I went to, I drove to Florida before Christmas. I stopped in Cracker Barrel, and there it is, the box set. Six records for 50 bucks. And you know what I did? I scooped that thing up and I gave it to DJ for Christmas. <laughs> I was I was listening yeah, to No Fences the other day, just life. getting ready for this. And and all the album covers, he's got all those plaid shirts. I'd say that's my 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 other thing about like a highlight of Garth is I've never really seen a and this is kind of a half baked take, but like a pop star like take MJ or Prince or like Kanye, right? That they're like normal and then they get weirder and weirder and weirder. And it seemed like in the dock, like Garth's wearing all this weird stuff early and these crazy shirts and like tassels and you name it. And then now he's just like complete dad outfit, you know, right. like flat bill, like no logos on his shirt. Like just, you know, he's wearing like, like brandless, uh, like, like the kind of uh, beanie you'd get, you know, literally like old Navy, you know, <laughs> on the farm. Like it's like, wait, wait, he completely did the inverse. Like he's the biggest star ever. Oh yeah. And he's, he's gotten more normal over time. It seems like. Yeah. So I was like struggling with all of that. He starts out dressing like he's got like a, he looks like Jerry Seinfeld in like those early '90s Seinfeld outfits. Yes. But yes. then he yes. sprinkles in some the, like the 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 shirt the shirt choices. Like he looks he's like a combination of like Jerry Seinfeld and like the the kids taking Instagram pics and in like Soho. Like he's got like a like a little bit of a <laughs> early '90s like streetwear to him. Um, that inter- he's in an interview with Katie Couric where he's in a full Mickey Mouse sweatsuit. Oh, the, I wrote that down. <laughs> the Mickey Mouse hat was epic. It's like, yo, man, like that was like the pinnacle of it. He's also deep in the ambush marketing scene where he's got that sporting good hat on. Yes. Well. Well, I, wrote <laughs> so, that. I want to go back to that okay, later. Right. Not so much for him, but for the drummer. Sure. He, the, then, uh, all right. One, so he, he starts out as like Soho, Instagram, Seinfeld. Then he quickly, and then like later interviews, he's like full Carhartt workwear. And like every once in a while, they'll throw in an interview where he's got completely bleached hair with a goatee. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's the whole Chris Gaines thing. Yeah, we have, which, which we got, we'll get to. We'll get to that. Yeah. But I also want to call him out on, on a compliment. I counted uh, every time he's backstage and all the old footage, he's always wearing college shirts, like oh, yeah. college football shirts. So I counted it: UNLV, TCU, Michigan State, SMU, Notre Dame, and of course the Pittsburgh Pirates. Of course. <laughs> that is amazing. But then he's on stage wearing these like crazy like 
you know, off pattern plaids and like a lot of color blocks, a lot of blocks, exactly, yeah. a lot of pattern blocks, which yeah. was uh, which was a real treat. Which is it is kind of funny. So some of the people you named, like you know Prince and Michael Jackson and, and these guys, like you go back and look at their record covers now. And there's nobody that's like gone back and looked at Thriller. And even though the clothes are wildly out of fashion, you're not ever like, God, what a fucking dork that guy is. Whereas <laughs> Garth, every single record, you're like, God, this guy was like the coolest thing ever. Holy, that's smokes. what I get to. It's like here, here I am, like coming to this guy for the first time, and I'm like, this is the biggest star in the world. Like if I was an alien, I'd be like, this is who you guys picked. Like this is number one. Like this guy is a, com- he's a dork, like a hundred percent a dork. And you're telling me like. This is the guy. He does not, not have you know, a rock star physique. He, no, I think he's he's the which is objectively awesome. He's the everyman, right? Like, I think that's got to be. The, I don't know. Maybe that's the take. Yeah, the, exactly. He kind of paved the way for the dad. Well, I was, I was I was thinking about this too. I think Garth is the like embodiment of like if you're just infectiously jolly like all the time, like upbeat, positive, and like if you're going up and doing like karaoke and you really sell out to it, like. Nobody else is going to feel awkward if you don't. If, as long as you have like a baseline of talent and you're not like the American Idol guy, William Hung, you know, and you're not just like horrible, horrible, horrible. It's like, no, actually, like that guy's really like, he's really into, he's really putting his heart into it. Like, right. I mean, you can, you can, it looks like you can be the number one act in the world. If, if Charisma that, can get you a long way. It can get now, you a long way. Now, pair that with like actually having a fucking awesome voice. Yeah. And like great stage presence and all that stuff. Yeah. I felt like. Dylan, and also being like the most relatable person ever. doesn't have the best person voice. Ever. That's one thing. It's not, it's a good voice, but it is sometimes to me, you brought up George Strait and they were playing some of it in the documentary. Early on, I felt like he was doing like a not so good George Strait impression. Yeah. Is that is that out of line? Or no, is that... I actually, I would agree with that. I will, okay, so the thing about his voice, this is like a kind of a country, a country thing, but one of the things that Garth does so well is that basically he can hang on a word and the word will have three emotions in it. Just like he'll inflect a word at the beginning, at the end of a chorus or something, and it will basically like, is he sad? Is he, you know, is that upbeat? Like basically when he kind of like will... Uh, waffle on the voice a little bit. I don't know. I don't know anything about music, so I don't know how to describe this with the correct term- terminology here, but he's such a such an effective uh you know, he can such an effective communicator of of emotion within within songs that someone else gave to him. It's awesome. Like that, that like that's kind of like what makes his music relatable, I think, is that you're like, you know, they talk about it when they talk about the um the river, which is kind of a big part of of like, you know, I think that people talk about that as like Garth's first serious song, but you know, that's the song that's like played at like wet, both weddings and funerals these days, uh, which is incredible. Or the dance rather. Um, yeah. The dance. Yeah. Hey everybody. Sorry to interrupt Randy again. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a new sponsor. It is Raycon makers of wireless earbuds from personal experience. I, Getting Bluetooth wireless earbuds has been one of the best things to happen to me uh, in really the the last several years of my life. Before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, uh, I urge you to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. They start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as good as the top audio brands you know. Raycon's latest model, E25, is their best one yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice, noise-isolating fit. 
And unlike some of the other wireless options out there, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. So now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash trapdraw. That's buyraycon.com slash trapdraw for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Last time, buyraycon.com slash trapdraw. Thanks to them for sponsoring the Trap Draw, and now back to today's episode. I know this is, uh, I'm wildly uneducated in the Garth department, but I, speaking of myth building, like I'd listened to all these songs so many times, I'd heard the ways he had performed them, the way he changed them, like, you know, from the album version to the live version, and it never, ever, ever crossed my mind, because I was listening to him when I was 12 years old, that he didn't write any of these songs. And I was curious. Uh, that's kind of how Nashville works, though. No, I, how, I know that how, now, how, but like most American in, music in, works, though. Like totally, but like inherently, like I think this was such uh, music I was listening to as a kid that like that never crossed my mind. You didn't know and that was the business. It was like finding out Santa Claus wasn't real on a lot of this stuff. Like you see these dumpy, just like dorky guys that are like, yeah, I wrote the dance. It's always and, interesting like, to hear honky tonk bar association play their music too. <laughs> Like yeah, when they play like when the lady played oh, "We that, Shall that Be Free." Cool. It's like, ah, you're not. Yeah, very it's good. like, yeah, you just like Garth do it. Yeah. yeah, you're not very good at that. <laughs> but that kind of, I, I was curious how that. Uh, if you guys thought about that at all, watching this, I, I've come and, like and kind of that full circle in. on that. I think, I mean, it's natural to hear, you know, especially if you like, if you know, if you if you're a fan of hip hop at all, you, hear, you the first thing you think about is like kind of like people ghostwriting bars for rappers, and that's like the ultimate sign of disrespect. But I, the, when I think about it with country music, it's like. I think about it more as like a teamwork, a teamwork aspect. I feel like in Na- Nashville is such a corporate environment. Like it, it feels like in this documentary, Garth's like, yeah, we, you know, we stepped over into the conference room from three to three forty-five, and we kind of knocked out the dance and there we had it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that specific singer songwriter split really hit me hard when I found out Elton John is the same way. Yeah, like ten years ago, that was the shout first, out to shout out to Bernie Top. Yeah, that was the first time I, I I was like, wait, 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 wait. Elton John didn't write any he, of he those. He doesn't write these. So that really took a hit for me. It's in the same way, now I'm just like, oh, that's the way the business is, right? Like, I that didn't surprise me because I wasn't married to the songs. Like, right. growing up listening to like Elton John, you're like, oh my god, he didn't write them. Like, he's not talented. Like, that guy right. stinks, you know. Oh, and then you're like, actually, you know, there's a big difference. Once you hear the songwriter play it, yeah. you're like, eh, that guy kind of stinks. Which yeah, again, I think shout, like, shout out to I think the it was like a sunny that, take yeah. to that. You could be like, you know, Bernie could never can never communicate the emotions the way Elton could. So it's like, yes, you know, the 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 uh, the sum is better than the parts. The same thing with like the Grateful Dead. Like, you know, Robert Hunter just died. Like, he, you know, he viewed himself as like a poet that was, uh, you know, that had best friends to communicate his messaging like there's like a super a super like cheesy sentimental take on that too rather than being kind of pessimistic about it yeah i think i think that's right the good you know teamwork makes the dream work i think is is, uh something that someone said once so i want to i want to transition us to uh another theme three biggest surprises from the doc DJ, you want to kick that one off? Uh, well, I'm gonna. I'll, or, or, yeah, I'll like, start with what I with what I just said. Yeah, um, that was a, a biggie. Um, one of the big surprises again. A lot of this is just not, um, you know, not having these things live on is like internet lore is is kind of like what I was saying. But the video for uh, the Thunder Rolls kind of kind of blew me away. <laughs> yes, 
in, in a in a number of different ways. Yeah. Let me let me count let me count the ways. Uh, one, the fact that Garth was in it, uh, looking like Ellis from Die Hard. <laughs> uh, that Hans, <laughs> Hans, Bobby, 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 come on, on. I'm God. your white knight. Uh, come on, John, turn yourself in. <laughs> Hans is the goat. Uh, so that that blew me away. The fact that Garth, like throughout, and and you know, granted he produced this biography or, or, you know, obviously had a huge hand in it. And so of course he's going to pump, you know, some of the, the good stuff he did, but like Garth had some takes that he, you know, back between, in the day, between that, the, the domestic dispute, uh, kind of vibe and the really pushing the envelope, basically like all this, uh, you know, is this too risque? Is this too, is this have too much of a message for country music kind of vibe? I thought was, was super interesting. So insert, that, that whole newspaper thing headline. I missed. You yeah, could say, exactly. You could say the same with uh, <laughs> the uh, Super Bowl situation. Exactly. Where he wanted to play his video before. He's like, man, I didn't you know, think I was making some big political statement. It's like, Garth, you knew exactly what you're doing, <laughs> number one. I just, I, we had a deal. You said you'd do this. You're not doing it, so I'm walking. You came back and said you'd do it, so I'll sing for you. Like, there's the parable again, right? Yeah. Like, he's boiling down this, like, huge, like, complex political posturing thing into, like, no, it's just man-to-man. Which is like, ah, it might be a little bit of an oversimplification. I will say the biggest surprise for me, um, I don't know if it was a surprise, but it was kind of like a really moment was Rodney King riots. They're at like some country music the awards. They're at the CMAs. And he's like, yeah, I told the bus driver, we're driving through LA's on fire. And I just said, hey, don't stop till this thing needs gas. So we drove straight to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Which is where I wrote, we shall be free. I called up the lady and we wrote it right there. I was like, you, okay, wait, wait. You drove the tour bus just randomly to the Grand Canyon? Like, that, that, there's no way that really happened. You know what I'm saying? I was like, that, that's, a, that's a Jack Reacher stretch alert for me. And how about the fact that Big that, you know, all the, uh, that was the first single of his that didn't reach the top 10. I thought that yes, was, that was wild. I think that's like 14, they said. Yeah. Well, it's, Neil, speaking of that song, I, actually, I wrote, my biggest surprise was how lame the NFL has always been. <laughs> even going back to even going back to the early nineties, like I, I had just kind of assumed like, you know, how how shitty the like the NFL is with basically how how much they screw up like basically all PR. I thought that was like kind of a recent thing. No, it turns out they have always been horrible about it. Even like even so much that they can Garth Brooks is the least offensive public figure of, of all time like let's get real here and the fact that the nfl could like somehow screw that up is just like mind-boggling to me the fact that he asked for four minutes of free airtime on uh <laughs> before the, uh, literally the game, on the super before bowl the game yeah was, was pretty aggro it's nice to know that that the super bowl acts have been messed up long before janet jackson and, and timberlake <laughs> took the stage but uh, uh i think another one in there this was more a personal surprise I thought Billy Joel was in a wheelchair <laughs> the entire what? the entire documentary, and I think that might have been due to my mental state. But I remember turning to Jerry in the hotel room, being like, "Oh my god, dude, is Billy Joel in a wheelchair? Like, and just, we gotta we gotta fix this polio thing, yeah, man. Like, oh, he looks bad, dude. Like Billy Joel really went downhill, which is also funny because that night we had just been talking about the feud that that Billy Joel and Fish have which which Jerry I, I got to kick that over to you cuz you know more about it than me but that was cracking me up too. Oh man, I'm, okay, I got a lot here. Okay, so let me let's start with the I'll start with the Billy Joel Fish. I I don't know if that's a like a real feud or not. I think what, you know, so Billy Joel, he does like basically a residency at Madison Square Garden every year 
and he like so much so that he has his his name hung in the rafters of MSG, basically you know like most shows of all time. And he, uh, I think he called Fish basically a glorified cover band once, and so basically Fish has you know thrown in a ton of Billy Joel songs into the repertoire, and you know, <laughs> which rules. Um, but actually, that, it's funny you brought that up because the highlight of this documentary for me was the George Strait Billy Joel bromance. Like those guys, I'd kill for that kind of male to male bonding in my life. What you mean? You mean um, Garth? Garth and and Billy Joel? What did I say? You said George Strait. You got <laughs> George yeah, Strait yeah. on Billy, the mind. The, the Billy Joel Garth Brooks bromance is is a one. I think the easiest way to explain also Garth, among the most surprising parts did not see that coming. Yeah, didn't see didn't see I the didn't whole see Central Park concert coming. Like they were doing the whole uh, you know they're they're showing all his friends from back home and it's like yeah here's the guy who's like runs the feed store and also wrote like you know Colin Baton Rouge and then like here's this guy and then all of a sudden there's Billy Joel it's like what really <laughs> wow so, this crystallized me a little bit because Keith I was Urban shows about, up like, what's the easiest way to explain Garth Brooks to some to like someone who has never heard of him like him and Billy Joel are basically the same person just for yes. different regions like Billy Joel is like take. tri-state Garth Brooks like he's like Long Island Garth Brooks and vice versa like how do I explain, you know, someone who grew up in New York City, how do I explain to them Garth Brooks? I'm like, oh, you know how everyone you know that's over the age of 35, like, adores Billy Joel? It's the same thing for Garth Brooks, just, you know, yeah. everyone who's not from New York. There's a, uh, God, one of my favorite things I ever read is this uh, Chuck Klosterman essay. I think it's from Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs about how basically nobody ever grew up wanting to be Billy Joel. <laughs> Uh, or just like nobody's ever, ever, ever been like, God, that guy's so fucking cool. But he's objectively a rock star. But he's objectively like, a, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a, you know, and he's, Garth, that's, he's a rock that's star. And that's really Garth good. I would put in the exact I same camp. Too. Absolutely. It's like, God, I wish I was Garth Brooks. Like and, nobody says and, that. And, you know, just for the listeners out there, Billy Joel was not in a wheelchair. He was just sitting in like a- <laughs> We can now confirm. A big, like he had big metal bars on the seat. He was sitting, it looked like he was sitting in like his Sag Harbor But it looked like all house. the all the yeah. pictures of Oyster FDR Bay. you see. It, it did. It was, I was like, God. I'm like, he looks horrible. What happened? Why is he in a wheelchair? And I would say one other big surprise for me, and this happens every time I see him on camera, is that Keith Urban's Australian. Yeah, oh, that's wild. Every time, he, every time he hits hits me with his accent, I'm like, yo, he's a country. Yo, that guy's Australian. Which also, All I want to say. All those blokes that came up playing in the clubs. I want to propose a theory. Is Keith Urban Chris Gaines? <laughs> wow. I never saw him in the in the dock at the same time together. <laughs> one and two, like, you know, Australia, the Keith. You know, Chris Gaines is an Australian pop star with a soul patch. I mean, isn't that basically what Keith Urban is? That's wild. Jeez. Listen, I'm makes you right think. Garth made so think. much money, he could have so just let's created tra- him in Let's the transition lab. there, because you guys probably have more Chris Gaines takes. I didn't know. That was another, obviously, I almost self-combusted again when I was like, wait, wait, Chris Gaines? What, what was this? Like, And I think all of society probably felt that way. Um, to me, it felt like Garth's only like dip of the toe into the weird pool that like yeah. Kanye and Prince and MJ all like just took a, you know, head first dive into and never got out. Right. It was like, Garth was like, yeah, I'm going to try something like really weird. And then backlash is like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, it's like, uh, you know, your thing, you, if you gotta, you gotta find the edge, you gotta know where the edge is. Otherwise, you know, you're going to go over the edge. And, uh, yeah, I think he kind of, Took a peek over, decided it was, it was not for him. Whereas maybe a little more rock and roll thing to do would maybe just be drive your motorcycle over the edge. Do you believe the the 
excuse they all had about it was a movie soundtrack. We decided to release the soundtrack first. The movie never came out. I did not know any of that. I believe it. Like, I, you know, it would be a weird thing to to lie about. But uh, I didn't know any of it. So I've just been obsessed. Again, picture like coming to all this news as whatever, like a 12, 14 year old kid who's kind of into music. Like, oh, yeah, Garth Brooks, that guy who was crazy famous. Like, imagine how that art project translates from like Nashville to like small farm town Illinois where I was growing up, where I'm only getting like one tenth of the story, you know, and it's people like, oh, yeah, no, no, no he changed his name. Like, that's all he's doing now. Like, he, he went to court and like changed his name. Now he's Chris Gaines. I'm like, fuck, really? That's it's why funny would he do that? that? Because that was actually how I remember it being introduced to me. It was like, oh, yeah, he changed it. It was a name change thing. And maybe that was. Maybe that was because people were thinking of like the Prince framework where it's like that's the only way they could kind of like relate to a pop star changing his identity. But right. Yeah. Like I'm kind of of two minds about the Chris Gaines thing. Like one, like it is certainly super freaking weird and could be easily be like, oh yeah, they like, they, they tried to go all the way in. They, they, it was a misstep and now they're trying to like cover their ass. But I can also see the version of this that's like, you know, with the right publicists and the right like marketing, like this was could a have sweet been idea. seen as like one of the best kind of like pop moves of all time. I mean, like totally. pop stars, like, look at, we were just talking about Taylor Swift. Like I, I'm sure that the next generation of, of like music listeners will have no idea that she was a country singer at one point. And it's almost like he was, he was like, could I be a pop star? I was number one for, for 10 years. Like, could I actually be a legitimate pop star? And then he was like, ah, maybe not. Uh, nope, that was an accident. I didn't do that. Well, I even feel like there was, I mean, I don't have a big enough bank of musical knowledge to pull from, but like, it's very David Bowie, right? Where it's just like, no, we're going to just change characters. And this is totally. my character now. So like, get on board or don't buy the record. Like, I don't care. But this is what we're doing. And then, okay, when I get bored of that, we're changing to something else. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it was just a little too close, <laughs> it was a little too close to the edge. Well, it's funny coming from Garth, who I on camera and in this documentary, I get the sense that he's making a lot of like wild metaphors and analogies that land like fifty percent of the time. But he is so passionate and so locked into what he's the story. It's kind of like John Gruden. He's just like you know talking and talking. And then and then at the end, he's like, you know, that's wild, man. You know, like <laughs> it's like he might be the original Gruden in a way. Like he's just like throwing metaphors at the wall. Some of them stick, some of them don't. And so to see him like with the Chris Gaines thing, just like. It doesn't go and just back off completely. Like you would have thought, maybe he would have just like gone right. head first and kept going, but I he mean, didn't. The only other, blame the only other like a freaking like twelve year run of selling one hundred and fifty million albums. Like, could you blame him for going on the like wild like coke dream? Like, I'm a pop star. Like, let's shoot. Like, you know, like I, you could blame yeah, him. Yeah, totally. Point. No, of course. And that's where I I kind of still contend. Like, it's a sweet idea to have everybody know all these songs and then the movie comes out and you're like, Oh shit. I know all these songs. It's purple. Like Prince. Yeah. yeah, Literally just the Prince playbook. Yeah. So I I think there's, there's some merit to it. What I will say is, uh, the documentary doesn't do a a great job of fully informing the people, uh, about this time. It's very quick. Uh, Trisha Yearwood gets on there, has her famous, like, you know, if anybody says anything bad about Chris Gaines, I'll fight them. Yeah. Cause that record's great. Uh, she has that moment and that they, they pretty much move on. There's no real like, yeah, no, everybody thought this was super weird. Uh, was there any backlash? Like what did the, what did the normal fans think? What did the songwriters think? How did they pick what songs they were going to play? Like blah, blah, blah. I mean, the Which I would have liked to have seen more was, of that. 
And I read an article t- this morning, actually, that I was trying to do some research on the, how the, the doc was made. Couldn't find anything. It was just a bunch of, like, you know, publicity really stuff. Tough pieces, yeah. Yeah, and it was – but it, one one article I did see was Garth learned a lot about doing a documentary from watching the Whitney Houston one and how all the people in the Whitney Houston one were historians and people that didn't know her. Like, you know, one person or two people removed. It wasn't like family and friends. And it's like, yo, you went the complete yeah. other end like, of the wait, spectrum what? where like you probably need something in between because this is just his daughters, his wife, his ex-wife, his business manager, basically everybody that has skin in the game exactly. just on the pulpit saying how like what a ride, what a road I'm on, you know? And it's like maybe if <laughs> maybe we should have a few historians in there to talk about like the Chris Gaines fiasco and like what what how that was received by the public, not right. that like that's, the that's music speaks at, for itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's where I'm getting at. Yeah, that was it. there are some glaring omissions. Like we were talking about the Thunder Rolls music video, which is not even close to the most wild Garth Brooks music video. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Standing Outside the Fire music video. Have you guys <laughs> Neil, I think I sent that to you. DJ, have you yes. seen it? I have. We'll, yes. we'll get there at the end. All I right, have, I'm gonna, I have, let's table I that one because that. I was that that was probably my like biggest frustration is because that is my all time favorite music video and one of my all time favorite songs. And I was like so upset that they just kind of like glo- like glossed over that. They, they didn't, didn't even talk about that song. They didn't that one about that song, which it was a huge hit. Yeah. So all right, I want to let's let's change gears once again. I want to go to to uh, top quotes from oh. the documentary. Um, Jerry, why don't you, why don't you kick us off? So this one's pretty simple. There's a, there's a, there's a thing at the end where he's talking about, uh, he's talking about Trisha Yearwood and how, uh, she's boundless and she's just got so much life. And he, he, he starts to call her the, the energizer bunny, but I think he might have some sort of contracts and he kind of holds himself and he goes, she's like the, the ever ready bunny. Which I just absolutely <laughs> love. If there's anything we know about Garth, especially after three and a half hours of documentary, is that the man knows how to move product. And I'm I don't know what kind of bag uh, EverReady had for him, but he was absolutely like securing that bag, the EverReady bag, <laughs> not the Energizer bag. Uh, that's a good one. That, I didn't I didn't even, I didn't catch, even that. catch that. That's one. great. No, that's a, that's that's a good palette you got there. Trish, speaking of Trisha, first off. <laughs> She looks like Renee Russo. <laughs> like I just kept thinking, I was like, she looks like somebody, and then I kept, I finally figured it out. Two, I am curious. One of those things that I think they glossed over is the so they get divorced. She gets divorced from Sandy, who's a hitress. She seems awesome, and she's he my, retires from music. She she he retires from music. Awesome to see her on the documentary. You don't see a lot of ex wives want to like. You know, say nice stuff. To be, to be fair, she doesn't know how to fill out a job application. That's so she true. I needed the money. We learned that from the documentary. <laughs> so maybe she's on the dole still. Who knows? But the guy retires at the pinnacle, of pretty much of his career, to go raise his daughters. And then I guess like a month later, they get divorced. And my question is, if there wasn't infidelity, so my question is: one is Trisha, you're what a homewrecker. <laughs> we'll leave that out there. Because I don't, I don't Unanswerable know. Unanswerable question. I don't know. But and two, if not, if there wasn't infidelity or something like that, some some true in, irreconcilable difference. How are you going to fourteen for fourteen years live on like opposite sides of the same property, see each other every morning, like live in two different houses, but like with the whole kid situation, the three girls go from they make breakfast together in the morning, they go to school, they come home, they stay at the other parents' house. That just why wouldn't at the point you didn't have Garth for fifteen years. He's going to retire for his family, and then you're going to get divorced? 
Like that's when you sh- that that's when you work on it, right? Like that 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 just didn't add up to me. That was a that was a lasting question I had. It's hard hard to say. I wouldn't I wouldn't dare something, put myself in the middle of Garth's marriage. It's a little stinky there. Doesn't you know quite smell right. That's where you kind of need maybe like a third party. Like you know, here's what really like if this if we're doing the real biography, like you're opening up everything else. Like I don't think that's I don't think that's out of bounds. Sure. What, um, what was your favorite quote? Why don't you start there? Sorry, I got sidetracked when no, you brought okay. up it's okay. Trisha. Uh, my fa- I have a few. I think word. one one is... Um, Ma- one Mama, that, Mama T. Mama T. Calls her. Mama T. Um, one that wasn't even Garth. I got a million Garth ones, but was when he was telling a story, and Garth is the master of telling stories using, like, quotes that probably weren't true. That's what I mean. Imagine going to, like, a dinner party He's with like, him. He's like, I said... You know, he best. said... So he said to me this, and I said this, yeah. and it's like he's just like it's like he remembered the entire conversation. It's like I mean, he does that like twenty five times. So he's doing one of those, and he said, and Paul, the marketing guy over at uh, Capitol oh, Records, mine. says, "Yeah, I'll tell you what, Garth, I just can't stop this song from going number one." <laughs> and he says it like directly into the camera, just like he's. It's like the song was at like number forty on the list. He's like, "Congrat!" He says, "He says to me, congrats, Garth, on on your number one hit." He's like, "What do you mean? It's like it's like forty. He's like. I've been doing this a long time. I can't stop this song from going number one. <laughs> it's just such an obnoxious quote. It was like all about like, you know, getting that first hit. It's never, never happens the way you think it's going to happen. You know, like you, you hit number one, you pop the champagne bottle. It's like, no, I knew when it was at number 40, it was going to be there. I was so, like, that, that, that was a sweet quote. So I had, I had three on my list. Uh, that was one of them for sure. Uh, another one when he's, he's playing, they're doing like the, the warm up show kind of thing, or they're, they're doing like the sound check with, uh, Ty England, the, the guy yes. who's, you know, is his, his college buddy. Uh, and he's a very throwaway quote, but he says, <laughs> he says something like, Hey, I love you, buddy. Like, thanks for the memories we're about to make. And that is the, the perfect, like, I know I've got a microphone on me and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sound so, say something like extremely profound. Nobody's ever said that. Thank you for the memories we're about to make. Uh, that was a good one. The other one I loved uh, was when he is talking uh, about his dad and he says, uh, you know, he was talking about how, you know, there's all this oil money. I'm going to go become a, <laughs> I'm going to be- go become a roughneck. And, you know, he's doing one of his, like I said, he said kind of things and, you know, my dad said, uh, you know, you don't want to do that the rest of your life. And then he takes like a long pause. Like you think something crazy is going to happen. And then he turns directly to camera. How did he know yeah. I didn't want to do no, that he, the he rest of my life? He turns to the camera, but he also does a thing where he like zones out, where he's like thinking. Yeah. It's like, how did he know that? <laughs> and then it cuts to commercial and he's selling me an anthology again. Brooks. You know? So, and the other one I had actually not from Garth. One of my favorite characters in the documentary, I thought the realest dude was Bobby Kennedy, his road manager. And I think he was in the band too. Like I think he played an instrument. But they're talking about like life on the road. And basically they're talking about like the marriage kind of going downhill. And he said, you know, it's tough. And the quote was like, you know, when you're on the phone, you know, you're calling home from a hotel room, you're on the phone, like quote, and I say, I'm eating a club sandwich. Well, that doesn't sound so good to a woman at home changing diapers, (laughs) even though you're bored out of your mind and it's hard for me. It's tough to make a relationship like that work for years. For sure. And I was like that, the way he said it and delivered it, and like that guy, 
was keeping it real the whole documentary. That's I what I mean. That like, was like that's what you never give one time from Garth. Yeah, it's exactly. just like a, oh yeah, dude, I felt that same way. Yeah, like, like this guy's like, nah, I mean, honestly, like you're just you're we're on a world tour for two straight years, basically. Maybe that's why they don't make documentaries were, about us. What they say? <laughs> they said they were on the road there during their like early honky tonk and dive bar tour, like right. 300 days of the year, like the first time they went on tour. Stop and smell the roses. So you, yeah, you can smell them while you're running that's with another, them, kid. Smell when yeah, so I thought like not like that was just like not even tongue in cheek. I thought that was like that guy. Every time he was on camera, I was locked in with Bobby Kennedy. So th- there were a lot of uh, a lot of joke favorite quotes. One of the ones that I truly, really, really did love was I thought the daughters came off like to- very normal and well adjusted for uh, being you know the daughters of the most possibly like insane, um, but also massively famous dad ever. I thought the one quote where, you know, when you're a kid, you're trying to wrap your head around this whole thing and the disconnect between trying to figure out why everybody thinks this guy's the coolest guy on the planet when he just took your cell phone away was <laughs> was like, like, no, fuck this guy, man. Like, why does everybody think he's so cool? He's a jerk. He just took my phone away. I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. The other one from Garth that was, was really stood out to me with him not like, not giving me the real stuff was him again looking straight in the camera, sitting backwards on the, the cafe chair, saying, You know you wanna know who Garth Brooks is? Friends in low prices is Garth Brooks. <laughs> Garth. Is- and I was like, all right, objectively the song is awesome, but like Garth, I don't think you have friends in low places. Like you're like the world's all you're like you're the poster boy for a good dad. Like you like you literally left life in the fast lane so that you could raise your three daughters and like live on the same like farm and get along with your ex-wife like who who with friends in low places does that <laughs> I, I don't know i cannot i would i encourage listeners to blow me up if they know anybody with friends in low places that would do that yeah. well, it's also like and he I, also I, says that and you kind of have to remind yourself that he didn't even write that song it's like you know <laughs> it's perfect that's a good point <laughs> well right, i so think my, that's a good example places take is I love to draw the parallel. Like every, if you wanted to be hot in the early '90s, you had to have like a dirtbag anthem. Like the Friends in Low Places is the like country dirtbag anthem. You had Teenage Dirtbag. Like if you wanted to be, if you wanted to be on MTV, and you're actually was Garth Brooks on MTV? That's an open question. Maybe we can take that one to the uh, take take that one to the yeah. Refuge. I don't know. That's a um, but that's a good question. Yeah, the, the Friends in Low Places probably the best karaoke song of all time. I've heard that song a thousand times, so it's like I would I wouldn't choose it, but you know if you grew up a Billy Joel fan, that may be the best uh, the best karaoke song on the, on the mat. Yes, I could see myself dialing up a Garth song at karaoke next time I'm there. Just just in in Jerry, we should go to karaoke and do one. Um, all right, la- like let's let's change gears again. Unanswered questions from the doc. Do you guys have any any just burning questions? walking away from from four hours of garth um what did they do at that irish stadium did it just like sit empty on those nights <laughs> that night, yeah. yeah for five straight nights or did they backfill that, it with that something was else? a crazy situation it was but that was also something that uh, i don't know four or five years ago my brother tron uh no i guess it was like six or seven years ago now he used to work the night shift at the ritz carlton in buckhead um and he, Garth, that was when he did his comeback tour. And like, just like what happened in Ireland where he booked like three nights and then they sold out so quick that he added on two more. 
he literally did that in like every city. So in Atlanta, he booked the Georgia Dome for three nights, ended up staying and doing eight nights sold out in the Georgia Dome. And it's just like that, that to me is also mind boggling. It's like the guys goes away for 15 years um, and, and comes back and it's just like literally bigger than ever. And then the only city that doesn't let him play, well, I guess they were going to let him play three nights. Right. But five he, was too much. Five was too much, but he was going to draw a line in the sand and say, it's all or nothing. And so then, then what did he do? He flew him over to the U.S., right? He flew him to Chicago. Yeah, I don't know what the they fuck didn't really, that meant. Yeah, what did he yeah, fly yeah. 600,000 people over? Again, like, that's no. like whitewashing. It's like, no, what Like what? What happened? The yeah. Irish Angels. That's a good good burning question there, Deej. Yeah, he, he kept saying that like, uh, yeah, I, that was a very weird... Like that's they, a perfect example just like, of just turning into a tall tale. It's like yeah. you know what I decided we'll we'll, we'll bring, bring all those America. Irish angels to <laughs> America. It's like well yeah. they probably didn't all fly to Chicago, man. Yeah. Like that's that's kind of an ask. Yeah, and then they just changed changed directions in the dock real quick. There are enough Irish people in Chicago. Exactly, the, uh, uh, Jerry. What do you got? Burning question. So my big un- unanswered question was: the Central Park show actually a fun concert to attend? That's Ooh, a great good question. Great it, was a, question. it was a free concert. 950,000 people, 950,000 New Yorkers in Central Park. Like, that cannot have been fun for 970,000 of those people. For yeah. sure. I, I was thinking about that when you saw the people in the front row. It's like, man, that's a good, that, that was a, a win for those guys. Absolutely. Well, also another good Garth quote related to that when... You know, I walked up to the stage and I saw the, the security guard and he said, Garth, I want to give you a count. There's, he says, <laughs> he handed me a piece of paper. He handed me a piece of paper. That's the count. That's the count. He says, are you telling me there's 850,000 people here? He says, no, I'm telling you there's 850,000 people here 90 minutes ago. <laughs> and then it's just like cues like, like dorky Garth footage of him running across the stage and like catching a rope and swinging out into the crowd and like. <laughs> Standing Hugh on Ro- Billy Joel's Hugh piano. Rodeo, opening lick of Rodeo yeah. as he like comes up it, from the I bottom was like, of the stage. Oh my I need you God. guys to be bigger and better than you've ever been. been. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking to the drummer. <laughs> you're, you're just the machine back there. You're pushing it, man. You're pushing it. Like just constant, constant jolliness. Yeah. That has um, to be that show had to be probably the was it probably one and two with the Sopranos, the best thing ever aired on HBO. Sopranos and then Garth Brooks Central Park. Yeah. From like a content standpoint or like a rating standpoint, just all anything, any metric. <laughs> well, it's got to be up well. There. I was cr- it's crazy because so the guy it sounded like the guy went to all three parties: New York Parks and Rec, Garth, and HBO, and like kind of sold the deal before it was ever like got everybody interested, saying that the other two were interested, and so like masterful sales job there. But then it's a free concert, so it's kind of like wow. HBO used to have an absolute lock on. Like now you couldn't you couldn't pull that off right like you couldn't drive enough right like how do the economics of that work HBO must have paid because HBO's foot in the bill for that right so they're thinking if we host this Garth show no one's making any money off the the gate right off the tickets we're gonna make all the money off people signing up for HBO just to see it like, yeah I have no I, idea I can't think of might any, have been some hospitality or something maybe you know involved. I can't think of any other way that it would be financial like in today's world financially feasible unless you charge people to go right. Right, it's just it's not different, even it's different so hard world. to even like compare because Central. You and I have both been to Central Park concerts. They're so like neutered and lame now that it's like hard to even compare that experience. Like Central Park concerts for people who I mean, may not be familiar, like very good bands play in Central Park, but they 
they play at like 60% volume. There's like a 9:45 curfew, you know, all the other annoyances of like New York concert venues with, you know, overpriced everything, long lines, the whole deal. Like my, some of my favorite acts come to New York city and play central park. And I don't even like look twice at it because it's such a mess. It's, it's like very hard to even relate to a, to a show like in central park these days. Well, I've always been a big, I'm a huge Dave, Dave Matthews fan. As well documented. Well documented. We know, we know, (laughs) shut up Schuster. But the central park concert for Dave, I always thought was like the end all be all like central park concert. I didn't even know this Garth concert happened. So that was another place where I was watching this doc and being like, oh my God, like he, like he did that first, you know? And I think actually, so Dave, the Dave concert was in 2003. I think that was like the last big one. I think there were like two or 300,000 people there and they kind of like ruined the great lawn because I think there'd been a ton of rain and stuff. And since then it's like, I can't think of another massive show like that, that they've let go on in, in, uh, Central Park. Which is, you know, it's a bygone era at this point. Sure. Yeah, I think in I got po- another... post nine eleven world, we will probably not see a ton of uh, a ton of those shows in Central Park anymore. Yeah, I got another uh, unanswerable question. Um, since this is allegedly a golf podcast, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. all I kept all I kept thinking was, uh, is there a is there a tiger parallel to Garth with the uh, with the comeback more? Just like his his career arc. Being the biggest thing that's ever existed in the history of the world, disappearing, mm. they disappeared for different reasons, and then the comeback has been—I'd say—a sm- much smaller but still wildly impressive mm. version of. I give him a ton of credit because he—he sounds like he did go away. It looked like he did like a residency at the Win in Las Vegas uh, for a few years in the in like the late two thousands, but there's no adversity, so. He, At least not that they're going to talk about in this That they're going to talk about. Like, I mean, yeah. he retired because he wanted to, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, Tiger, it's like, oh, my God, he went through all this stuff and, like, sure. injuries and personal problems. And it sounds like, uh, you know, I've got to take the guy at his word. Like, life was – other than – oh, God, we forgot the best quote the whole, the whole of the whole thing. This is what kicked it, all this off is Garth, again, sitting, <laughs> staring into the camera and saying, if you told me at the end of the 90s I was going to have to – Watch my best friend die, which is his mom passed away. I was going to get divorced. God damn it. And he like turns sideways and just goes, God damn it, like off camera. And then start and then turns right back into the camera and says, and then I was going to retire from the only thing I've ever truly loved, music. I mean, that's, that's like you, you tried handling those three things coming at you, kicking you right in the nuts. And then it's like cut to commercial. Hey, I'm Garth Brooks. <laughs> By my anthology, you know, it's like that, that quote was the kicker. I remember in the hotel room, Jerry, like that was it. We were like, oh my God. Yeah. He treats his divorce like he forgot like his wallet in his car. Oh, God damn. Gotta God, get that. God, God. I'm a statistic. Ne- yeah. Never want to be a statistic. God damn it. You know, so, well, to was... me, the, so golf, to me, the tiger, the, the tiger parallel, super obvious was, I don't remember, I guess it was Trisha or I'm on a first name basis with her now. But Trisha's Mom, like Mama T. Mama T. Mama T says, "Nope, you know we all sold more records in the '90s because of Garth." Would the, the like oh, first thing I thought take. of was how yeah who who was it was it like Fuzzy Zeller or someone who's like we're all making more money because of Tiger. Well, yeah. I think it was Big Randy. Big Randy. Big Randy big on wrote that blog too. The Tiger Tax. Tiger Tax, where everybody's made basically 10x what they made in the early 90s starting when you know in 97 basically just all the purses and prize money went like through the roof yeah 
They were saying in the doc they put he put country on the map. Yeah. Like he he there's no doubt about it. Like and I'm I'm quick to give like my point here is not like you said earlier, DJ. I'm not trying to dunk on him, but like I kind of can't reconcile some things where I'm like, is anyone else seeing this? Like, <laughs> like, like yeah, okay, he is the big objectively the biggest act. The music's good. Like the guy had an unbelievable career. Clearly, everybody likes his music. But like, yeah, he. But like, can you can we acknowledge like that? One, this documentary is outrageous, and two, the guy's kind of a cheese dick. And and I think that I don't know. I hope nobody. Uh, points out how that this is you know obviously wrong or anything like that but if we want to keep doing gymnastics to to keep the tiger comparisons going i think like you said jerry he he shifted things so that everything got so much bigger so much quicker and the entire industry changed and i think country as i understand it you know was always kind of this like niche you know, it's like golf, right? Like, it was a, golf's always been a niche sport that people are crazy hardcore about, but it's not for everybody. It is very, it, it's on the sidelines. And if you love it, or if you're into it, you probably love it. And I, that's how I've always kind of pictured country music pre-Garth. And post-Garth, it turned into, you know, a form of pop, right? And I think you could kind of say the same about golf to an extent, where it's like, it's gotten so big. You know, not that the sport has really changed. Of course, there's all the distance stuff and like you can get into that, but Tiger didn't really have everything to do with that. People worked out more and, and all that stuff, but the sport itself, the TV and the money and all of these things have just gotten so big that it's like almost recognizable, Unre- sorry, that it's almost unrecognizable now compared to what it used to be. And people lament that for the PJ Tour all the time where it's like, God, these used to be just guys traveling in their car, telling stories, drinking beers after the round, like blah, blah, blah. Like that's how I picture old country music right and yeah. that is that doesn't exist anymore and so i'm sure there's probably you know i think you, we kind of kicked it off up front but like you were saying jerry like there's some people that kind of resent that probably right right like it, it just it's much like golf like it's i don't know how it goes backwards from here right there's just there's too much uh money to be made by keeping things very similar to how they they look in a post garth and post tiger world yeah i mean the garth the garth the garth version of that is he was always crushed for the over the ear microphone you know like historically country musicians right. were basically stationary on stage and then you have garth brooks who's got this like over the he's got like the literal like over the, the ear ted microphone. Talk mic. yeah the ted talk mic it is noticeable yeah, yeah. it's like and iconic he's like for him for fully sure. sprinting around the stage jumping on rope ladders which is hilarious because of like how <laughs> the rope ladder is, is sick <laughs> Yeah, the rope ladder is sick. He's like, there's the clip at the beginning where him and his guitarists are doing that like time smash of their guitars yes, together. Yeah. I mean, well, how about there was a whole rope so, ladder montage yeah, so at one much. point? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, but like, the, it's funny. The like country as a as an American music form is hilarious. Like, it's hilarious that it's always been in the background and then just been ripe for you know the biggest musician, you know, biggest like pop or rock musicians to come like cherry pick the parts that they want from it. And then use it to like, you know, like I always think of like the Rolling Stones. Most of their biggest songs are essentially are essentially essentially country songs, but you know they're from right. England. While it was like country was kind of like festering in the background until Garth, you know, returned it to its rightful place in the forefront. Um, one of the like tiny things that I caught in this that I don't know, I'm sure you guys did too is how when uh, Roping in the Wind went to number one, did you see what it jumped to get there? Oh, never mind. Yeah, or was it Metallica? Oh no, no, I it think was, it was no, both. Metallica's it was like, Metallica's self-titled. It was it was not. Yeah. Never mind. 
And I was like, oh, but then, the, it, uh, but then it bounced the back. Perfect and, but club. Then it bounced back. It, no, but it's oh right, that's true. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and then it went down because because Nirvana took it over. But because I'd be down to do a, a, a Cobain Perfect Club as well. Compete, yeah. compete down the road, and when you're done, you compete again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But yeah, the fact that that just kept bouncing around between yeah, it was like Metallica, Michael Jackson's up there, Nirvana's up there, and you got this dad who's just yeah. whipping everybody's ass. It was nuts. All right, so let's let's tie a bow on it here. Last question for you both. Favorite Garth song? Oh my gosh! Go ahead, DJ. Uh, I knew you were going to ask this, and I still don't. I feel like the guy at the end of the documentary. I'm gonna, I can't. can't <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not going to do yeah, it. Bobby Kennedy, no, the no, homie. No, do it. Yeah, <laughs> he's the MVP. Like, I don't want to do it though. Yeah, no, just do it. Yeah. If you're going to make me pick one, yeah, uh, and then he doesn't pick one. <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is, uh, I think, Colin Baton Rouge. Maybe just because it was the top of the double live album. It's the first thing you, that you crank up. And uh, it's just like the most fun to get drunk and scream. And yeah. it, it's the best. They, the, when they fair. played Colin Baton Rouge before LSU games, I went to an LSU game once and they play that game like kind of pre, they play that song pregame. It yeah. is awesome. They had this like awesome, you know, kind of like video of like all things Louisiana. It is it, like, I, I hate LSU, but man, that is like such a cool part of that game. It's pretty um, close to the perfect song. It, it really is. It, it really it's is. It's got everything. Um, so I have a couple. I think one, the first song is, this is like kind of one of his, it's one of his biggest hits, but like like all Garth songs, like these, his songs that were number one for so long, like most people that we know don't know these songs because they're not on streaming services, which is like insane. Because um, like, you know, he, I feel like... He, in the kind of 20 year cultural cycle, like Garth has not gotten the, the appropriate shine that he should. Um, he has a song called that summer. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that with, with that one. Kind of the premise of the song is that there's like a teenage boy working on a, an old woman's farm and they have a kind of like a, you know, some sort of relationship. This song was like really <laughs> massive, massive number one hit with like heavy kind of uh, heavy kind of like, you know, Pedophilia. I don't know. What do you call it when a pedophilia, I guess, would be for an older woman? Statutory rape. Boy. Yeah, like a yeah, heavy statutory vibes. Ew, anyway, that song goes ex- extremely hard. Love that one. Anyway, that song um, rules. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it, it's a bop, I guess. It, was a, it slaps out of that. Uh, I think I got to go standing outside the fire. I mean, completely, you know, forget the music video. That song is also, is also, is also next level. And then um, kind of round out the top three would be The Dance, which mo- not Listen, most of people I know probably had their first kiss to that song. I'm throwing it out sure. there. Seventh grade behind <laughs> I don't know the, that song that gymnasium. well. Um, either that or, Congrats, either that or um, um, Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn. Not Garth Brooks. But oh, it's a good one, too. Uh, standing Outside the Fire, there might be no song. Like I associate that with... Like that takes me back to the mid '90s as fast as yeah, you know, like Nirvana or any yeah. of that stuff. Well, you guys are you guys are stealing my thunder. The thunder rolls here. Oh, right? of course. No, no, no. Because stand, I had standing outside the fire, and I was actually feeling a little self conscious about it. Like, God, now everyone's gonna know what a amateur Garth fan I am. They didn't even talk about it. The doc, yeah, right. So true. I'm like, okay, this isn't this. That's just the. And the only reason I know the song is because it was like a mainstay on the uh, when I went to high school I went to a catholic school so we used to do these retreats right where like an you know 
Schwaldo upperclassmen would like, we'd sit around in a circle with like five to seven of us ninth graders and like the junior would like, you know, we'd talk about our feelings and insecurities and stuff, but they'd always burn you a CD, right? And like standing outside the fire was always on those CDs. Like every time I went on one of these retreats, like once a year. It's got some deep uh, youth group vibes. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Picture like Diet Young Life for these retreats, right? And like It's like vaguely religious, but not overtly religious. It's like, no, you got to jump in there, man. Like you're having trouble in high school? Well, keep it positive attitude, right? And and you know the other, the other, the other classic icebreaker. Basically, the the leader of the retreat like played as an icebreaker, and they'd be like, "So like, how's everyone doing? No, but how are you really doing? You know, like let's talk about it. <laughs> let's like let's do some exercises where we write things down that are bothering us. Like blah blah blah. Like the other mainstays on those CDs were like, you know, Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson, <laughs> like Tupac Changes. You know, like like those are like those three were like if you ask like bet me twenty bucks, I'd say. That the ninth grade retreat at Marist High School, like one of those songs is on one of those one of those mixes right That's now. That's when you really found yourself. Well, that was like my that was my pretty much like to to round it all out. Like that was my really the extent of my experience with Garth. Like as far as like I never listened to a full Garth album all the way through. I've never heard all the songs independently because somebody else turned them on for me. Right. Right. Or put them on a CD. That one being the like the one that I heard the most. And it's a good song. Like all of that to say, oh, it's great. It's a, you know, yeah, is it cheesy for sure? <laughs> but am I like, yeah, that was good. You know, like after I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to that again. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's that might be Garth in in a nutshell, right there. You Garth, want to know what Garth no, Brooks is? It. It's every. I was Garth thinking Brooks about song. it the other day. He reminds me early on in the doc. He was reminding me of like the lamest guy on your high school football team. That's like all <laughs> about it. Like totally bought in. He's like the left guard. But he's a, you know, he's a, like a complete loser. Like he's like trying to get every riled up pregame, saying all the right stuff. But because it's him, you're like, hey, man, like, yeah, you're kind of like, you're kind of a schwaldo. Okay. Except it works for Garth. Like that's the thing. Like he uh, reminds me of all those things. Except he's the exact opposite. A, f- a friend of mine said, "If this, we have uh, eleven Garth Brooks, what's our record, though?" Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's Ches Reeve. Exactly. <laughs> a friend of mine said th- said this about uh, PJ Tour journeyman Chris Stroud one time, and it has never left me. But he said Chris Stroud strikes me as like a Texas high school football coach, um, except every player on the team is also himself. <laughs> and Garth has some of those vibes too, where he's just like he's deeply inspirational, but the the audience he's talking to is also himself. And it just is like this weird feedback loop. But anyway. Yeah. I would say that's probably my biggest gripe with Garth is like there's you can't really trust he's an he's an unreliable narrator. You can't really trust any of the emotions that he's like trying to put on display. That's, that's the best yeah. take of the night. It's like, I want to believe this guy, but it's also like, uh, you know, like I can't trust what he's saying. It's like, uh, you know, you really want to, it's like, what's he hiding? What's he, what, what's actually the yeah, pain exactly. behind those eyes? Yeah. Where's the dirt? Yeah. So, all right, Bells. Well, that was, that was a solid, solid session there. Appreciate you hopping on with us. We wouldn't, we couldn't have done it without you. Yeah. I'll be I here will, for uh, the, uh, I'll, I'll be here for, I'll be here making dinner when you get home, Neil. All right. Sounds good. I'll be <laughs> home in a, I'll be home in a week or so. I miss you, yeah. bud. Take See you, buddy. See you.
rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who